Good to see you. Uh, Charlie is in Colorado, a dear friend of ours and torchbearers, Wayne Wiseman. His daughter passed away from a long battle with cancer, so he called me and asked if I would um, step in and fill the pulpit, as they say. Um, so I'm filling it. <laughs> uh, my name's Bill. For those of you who have never uh, seen me, I've been a member here at Bernie uh, Bible Church, um, associated with His Hill for many, many years. Now I live up in Fredericksburg with my wife and a couple kitties. And um, I'm glad I could be with you again this morning. Um, usually when I'm asked to guest speak somewhere, I always, there's so much material to draw from that there's plenty of stuff that is uh, not as offensive and you wouldn't want to touch any controversial doctrines, you know, areas of doctrine. You want to uh, be a, a good guest in a home. Um, but a passage that the Lord laid on my heart when Charlie called me I, is, is a hard passage. And I don't think anyone would disagree with it. It's not the disagreeing of it that's the problem. And I thought, well, that's, I'll keep praying. And the more I prayed, the more I saw it. It's what I thought I ought to share with you this morning. So with that little preface, go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians Chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to spend our time uh, predominantly in uh, verses 1 through 8 with a few um, cross-references there to make a few observations and to drive home a few points. Let me read it for you. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Consequently, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Let me pray for us. Father, the difficulty with the passage is that it's so clear. There's very little need for explanation. But Father, my request is that any brother, sister, boy, girl, who would find themselves this morning enslaved to fleshly passions, that you would grant them repentance. And those who are steadfast, 
that they would continue their steadfastness, Father. That in our hearts, Father, in our minds, in all we do, we would flee immorality. And I ask this through our Lord Jesus. Amen. This is not a pleasant passage, is it? And But let me start out. Let's break it down. Let's start with the first two verses. He he says that we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus as you receive from us instruction as to how you walk and please God, just as you actually do walk. So he's writing to a good, pretty good group of folks here. He's not writing them to condemn them. He's not writing them because maybe this is rampant. But he says, listen, but I want you to excel still more, right? I want you, in other words, that our progress in Christ should always be upward, I want you to excel. Well, how do we do that? How do we know the mind of God? It's very simple, actually. It's in verse 2. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So Paul is unashamed of the authority that God has given him. And he says, the commandments that I gave you are the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says in other places that Christ has authorized him. He tells us in 1 John. John tells us that those who reject these words, you know, reject God. And they're not boasting. They're not arrogant men. They're just saying, here is the authority that God has given us. So he says, for you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ, you see. So the specifics of instruction unto righteousness and a pleasing walk with God, they come via the authority of the apostles which they receive from Christ. The will of God is expressed in the command of Christ. Does that make sense? You can never say, I'm violating a command of the Lord Jesus Christ, yet I'm walking in the will of God. You see, that's nonsense, isn't it? So there he establishes his authority. A command of God is nothing more than a description of the character of God. You've heard that before. That's not new. In other words, God says, thou shalt not steal because he's not a thief. Right? God says, thou shalt not lie because he's faithful in his words. God says, thou shalt not covet because he gives freely, doesn't he? And doesn't desire that which he has given. The gifts of God are without repentance. So you see on and on and on and on. God says, love one another as I have loved you. Forgive as I have forgiven. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. On and on and on and on, you see. So a command of God is nothing more or less than expression of the very character of God. And as Christians, we are to delight in that character. In other words, to love Jesus Christ means to, we love who he is. And, and in loving who he is, we delight in the expression of that character in his commands. Does that make sense? We delight in it. David said, I delight to do thy will. Oh my God, thy law is within my heart. We delight to do it. So Paul now, after this general instruction, is going to get specific. He's going to talk about a specific area to make it very clear to the Thessalonians and to you and to me Uh, the specific will of God in this area. 
And he says very clearly in verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. In other words, generally speaking, what is God doing? God is conforming us to the image of Christ. True? In other words, he's separating us, sanctifying us from all that is ungodly, that what remains might be pure. That's another word for sanctified. This word sanctification is the same word as holy, right? Sanctification would be a noun, holy would be an adjective, sanctify would be a verb. It's all from the same thing. It just means to make you pure, undefiled. In other words, again, I'm repeating everything that is ungod, right, like the gold in the fire, everything that is ungod, he separates from your life that what remains would be pure, Christ himself, right? And this is the will of God, isn't it? We can never walk in sexual immorality and say what? I'm living a life that's pleasing to him. That's hard, isn't it? He's not saying, if you have in the past committed these actions, you've repented of. No, it's cleansed, forgotten, forgiven. Hallelujah, right? For that. But he's talking about present, unrepented practice. And he goes on, he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That's a general idea, isn't it? And now he's going to say, let me give you a very elementary specific, a very bedrock specific on what it means to be sanctified. In other words, you could say, here is elementary sanctification. Here is entry-level sanctification. Without this, Hebrew says, no one will see the Lord. And he says, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. There's the command, right? (laughs) From the authority, abstain. What does abstain mean? It means to abstain. (laughs) It's not a difficult word, is it? To abstain in every form. That which goes in the eye, that's what comes in the ear, that which is imagined in the heart, and that which is performed in the body. Abstain from it. Flee immorality, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. Flee immorality. He says all other sins are against are, are, you know, not against your body, but immorality is sinning against your own body. You're destroying yourself. Our country is in the condition it is, I believe, and I've come to this conviction because of this issue. It's not a Democrat fault, uh, and it's, abortion is just a fruit of this, right? No sexual immorality. No unwanted pregnancies. No unwanted pregnancies. No abortion. Houses and homes without fathers, children born out of wedlock, all the fruit of what? Sexual immorality. And don't say in your heart, well, because I have been careful enough so far to not have that produced in my life, that you are somehow better than those who have produced it. Does that make sense? Because Jesus says, if you look at a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. Flee immorality. Purify your hearts, James says, right? Purify your hearts. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. I always find it amazing, let me touch on music a little bit, that what we would never prohibit, uh, never allow, excuse me, as parents, what we would never allow in the form of a visual pornography, we would permit in music. 
Does that make sense? Singing about what's, what we would say, it's just musical pornography is all it is. So much of the music today. And we permit it. But God says what? Flee because it'll ruin you. Flee because it'll ruin you. Jesus on this topic says if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Better to go into life whole, life maimed, right? Than to go into the burning fire. This is a serious, serious issue. A serious issue. In John 17, Jesus prays, Father, sanctify them in the truth. What? Thy word is truth. In other words, the sanctifying agent of our hearts is hearing the word of God and yielding to his will by the spirit of Christ who dwells in us. So he says, this is the will of God that you abstain from second. And by the power of Christ in us, that is possible, right? We have to say that. We have to say that Christ can give and sustain victory in this area. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now in verses 4 and 5, he gives two opposing ways, two opposing ways that one may use his or her body. And he says this, that each of you, here's the first way, verse 4, ready? That each of you know how to possess his own vessel. That's your body, right? And your body is the temple of God, correct? And there is no sin greater, and I think 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 5 and other places confirm it. There is no sin greater against the vessel of God than sexual immorality. Because our union with Christ is supposed to be a union that typifies the marriage union. One man, one woman, what? For life. But this is not only a violation of that picture, of that image, but it is also destructive to the body. But he says, but you should know how to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. In other words, our body should be sanctified, that we should use exercise self-control, which is the fruit of the Spirit, to demonstrate a, sancti- a sanctity of the sexual life and honor, right? That are, we do not dishonor our bodies with one another, as Romans chapter 1 tells us that some do. So that's the first way, sanctification and honor. He says, this, I believe this is the mark of the child of God. I'm beginning to believe. This is what distinguishes us from the world. Glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, right? Same passage where he says, flee immorality. Glorify God in your body. Possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. It's a beautiful thing. It's a freeing thing. It's a liberating thing. It's a great thing to have a pure mind and a pure heart. All gifts by grace through the Lord Jesus Christ, right? No one, no boy, girl, man, or woman possessed by the Spirit of God can say, I just can't do it. Well, God never said you could, but Christ can, right? And so we must simply put to death 
as Romans 6 tells, Romans 8, excuse me, we must put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit who dwells in us. This is the normal Christian life. Now in verse 5, he tells us how we should not possess our bodies, how we should not go around using our bodies. And that would include eyes, ears, every, every part of us, right? Not in lustful passion. There's the command. Not in lustful passion. Listen. Like the Gentiles who do not know God. He's saying this is the characteristic, this is the lifestyle, this is what characterizes those who do not know God. Isn't that true? In all of our movies and all of our music that are, that are apart from Christ, isn't that held up as one of the highest values in, in our culture today, sexual freedom? Sure. He says, but we should not be those who walk around and possess our bodies in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. This way of life is so contrary to the life and mission of the individual believer and the church that those who will not repent of such behavior are asked to be removed from the church. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13. We don't have time to go through it, right? Paul says, it is reported there is sexual immorality among you. Remove the man. And that is a blessing both for the man and the church, right? It'll bring, hopefully, it'll bring the man to repentance. But if we tolerate the behavior, it will simply, like leaven, spread through the whole church community. So this type of behavior is so contrary that God says, and there's a very short list, by the way, and this is on there, that these, that unrepentant sexual immorality is to be removed from the church. This is the most loving thing that an elder board or a group of people can do to a person in unrepentant, right? Unrepentant sexual sin, uh, whom they've confronted, right, several times and given warnings, just like Matthew 18 describes. It's the best thing for them. It is the most loving thing for them. It is the most loving thing for the church. It is not loving to tolerate it because that just confirms and applauds their behavior and condemns them in the long run. I'm going to look at a few passages, a few warnings that Paul gives. If you want to turn there, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll come right back to um, Thessalonians. Turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, just over there, back a few pages. It's interesting in my reading, I was wondering, Lord, is this really the passage you want to share? And and the next day, my daily reading in, my, in the Old Testament was, was Samson and the Delilah events, you know. And my New Testament reading was 1 Corinthians 6, right? There's immorality in the church of such a... Right? I said, well, that's not necessarily always a confirmation, but it seemed like one to me. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in 9. Listen, listen closely. Three times, we're going to see three times where Paul gives this identical warning. Listen up. Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? And listen to this. Do not be deceived. Right? Why does he say do not be deceived? Because there's the potential 
for us, for our human hearts to be deceived. In other words, we could be deceived saying, I'm involved, whether it be visually or hidden, what we call secret sin. What an offense to God, right? Calling a thing a secret sin. Whether it be a secret sin or whether it be any form of sexual immorality, he says, do not be deceived. Do you not know that neither fornicators, that sex before marriage, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, that's extramarital sex within marriage, nor the effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, shall inherit the kingdom of God. He says, don't be deceived. This behavior, if there's not this fundamental entry-level sanctification, shall not in... But look at verse 11 for the good news, right? And such were some of you. Are we saying these people are unsavable? Of course not. Christ came to save what? Sinners. And if I gave the list of my past before I knew Christ, and if I gave the list of the offenses in this issue, it would probably be longer than most everybody's put together. Christ saves sinners, right? But we do not use that excuse that Christ saves sinners to continue in a pattern of sin. Because it may very well be that the failure to repent is evidence that Christ does not dwell in you. Does that make sense? Let's continue on. Let's look at a similar warning in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. It's just right after 2 Corinthians there. Flip on by. In my, I don't know, I guess 15 or so years full-time at His Hill, my continuing years, and my year, seven or so years as a pastor in just various forms, just meeting people, People, this sin has destroyed more people, more families, more homes, caused more problems, probably than all the other put together. I think I can say that pretty confidently. Has destroyed people, destroyed young men, old men, older men, young women, older women. He says in Galatians, beginning in verse, let me find my reference, chapter 5, verse 19. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, he says, which are impurity, immorality. So right off the list, right? Immorality, impurity, sensuality. That's interesting. Sensuality is nothing more than entry-level pornography. It's that what appeals to the senses, right? And our standard these days is so low that sensuality is everywhere, everywhere. The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like this. Now listen to this. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, practice is the key word there in the whole, right? Not that you have not ever done that, such were some of you. But he said, if your practice, if you look at your life and you can say, you know what, my practice, I'm addicted to this sexual sin, and it is the practice of my life, Paul says, you you cannot have a solid hope of inheriting the kingdom of God, right? Right? of inheriting the kingdom of God. 
Let's look at the final warning of a similar nature, and it's found in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, which would be the very next book. I put the references in order to expedite your page flipping. Look at 5, 3 through 7. We should be terrified. We should tremble in our hearts at this kind of sin if we're practicing it. Any child of God, anyone who names the name of Christ, should flee from this uh, because uh, it's making a mockery of God, isn't it? God will not be mocked. What a man sows, this he shall reap. If he sows to the flesh, he shall reap corruption. But that's the last chapter. Let's look at Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 3. Chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 3. But do not let immorality or impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. That word saints, which is a noun, from the same root as holy and sanctified. You are a sanctified one, right? (laughs) You are a saint, Saint Bill, and you are a holy one. This is proper. The proper thing among saints is what? To flee from immorality. And there must be no filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting. This would include crude sexual jokes and which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. Now look at this. Here it is again. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God in Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of the... This is the very practice, these are the very, this is the very behavior pattern for which God is coming to pour out his wrath on this earth. Immoralities, right? And we as Christians should not be in it. It should not characterize us. And there is no sin that is hidden, is there? Our sins will come to light. Repent of them now, perhaps, right? Before they come to light. Let's go back to Thessalonians and finish up there. So we finished up verse 5, there's the, verse 4 and 5. There's two ways to possess our body, right, in sanctification and honor. Not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God. That was my point in going to these three references. This is a lifestyle, a behavior, that cannot be justified by a Christian in any way, shape, or form. In verse 6, very interesting and maybe the most difficult verse of the section, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we told you before and solemnly warned you. There's another solemn warning We have to understand this passage, again, as we often do many passages in the Bible, of the generic brother, right? When he's talking to the whole group, he'll say, brethren. He doesn't mean just men. In other words, is this passage just addressed to men? No, right? There's two, defraud is the interesting word here. The word defraud means to take something by deceit that's not yours, right? It's not yours. 
that guy's wife is not yours. God has something to give your future husband. And it's not yours to give, is it? And to give it to someone before you're married is defrauding. To take something from a young lady before you are married is what? Defrauding them. Taking something that is not yours. You're defrauding them in this matter. You're cheating. You're stealing. And you're stealing the most prized possession that God has designed for a man or a woman. Right? It is not good that man should dwell alone. A very, very strong passage. But here's the the strongest part in here, and it says this, that no one should transgress and defraud his brother in the matter. Now listen to this. Because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. I've meditated on this passage, and I can't be super dogmatic here, but I I, I think I have at least the, the sense of the Spirit of God on this. And that, you know, in a lot of issues, God delegates authority. True? In other words, God gives to the civil government the power to avenge wrong, right? To pay back. And he says, well, this sphere is yours, right? If you're driving 60 in a 40-mile zone, God's not going to zap you, right? <laughs> That's not, he's given that to the civil authorities. He's given certain authority to mom and dad, right, to exercise, And the parents are to avenge wrong. Excuse the harsh language there. But that's their responsibility. It's your responsibility to correct a child, train a child, right? So there's various authorities. But it's almost, as I see it, it says, when it says the Lord is the avenger in all these things, it's like what? This one's mine. They're all gods, but he's nothing delegated here. This one's mine, right? This one's mine. And no one, let that sink in deep. I'm just sharing you the meditations of my heart on this passage. It's all it is. No one shall escape the judgment, the vengeance of God from an unrepented practicing of sexual immorality. No one. There is absolutely no such thing a secret sin. God will avenge. And isn't it amazing how patient he is? Isn't it? Think about it. Think of how patient he is. Turn over to Revelation, the book of Revelation, uh, in the second chapter. God is so patient. And listen, unfortunately, according to Romans chapter 2, it says that we misinterpret his patience as, well, God's not that upset with this, right? We may be storing up wrath for the day of wrath. But look at Revelation chapter 2. He's writing to a church. He's writing to a church in chapter 2. And it's a church of Thyatira. And we, for the sake of time, let's skip up to 2.20. And he says, because, he says, but I have this against you, that you, what? Help me out with the word. A little louder. 
That's, that, that is the number one value in our society today, isn't it? To what? There is no sin except intolerance, right? In fact, we should have a bumper sticker. Death to the intolerant, right? <laughs> Thank you, Porter. <laughs> yeah, in other words, they're intolerant. With, anyway, let's not go there. We don't have the time for it. It's hypocrisy, isn't it? But anyway, this church's problem was that they tolerated something. They put up with it. They allowed it. They knew it was going on and did what? Nothing about it. Parents, if you know something is going on in your family and your children, you must do something about it. Remember God rebuking Eli for knowing that his sons were misbehaving and he did nothing? Now listen, doing something is not going to guarantee their repentance, is it? But you must not tolerate it, right? You must not. At the very least, very least, they must be spoken to and spoken to firmly and lovingly. But anyway, but I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. This was a lady in the church who thought she had some pretty unique gifts, right? In fact, she just sort of titled herself prophetess. Now look at this. And she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality, there it is, and eat things sacrificed to idols. Let me stop there. You can say, well, that's a primitive thing. There's no churches. There's plenty of churches that tolerate this and even teach it. I had a young lady at his hill when I was still full-time down there. We were going through just, I think it was the first Corinthians, you know, marriage in the family, something like that. And she said, well, Mr. Bushhouse, my Sunday school teacher told me that we needed to experiment sexually to see if we would be compatible with our partner. And this was not a, what you would call a liberal denomination. And you know what the sexual freedom is preached in, in churches as, a, as the highest, highest order. I could tell you stories that would curl your ears, that would gross you out, that I've heard from fellow pastors and you know, of things that churches are tolerating, but they're just not even repeatable. So don't think this is an old thing. Oh, people are really teaching to... Yeah, they're giving... Yeah, y'all go on ahead. God loves you. But anyway, this church tolerated. But look what it says in verse 21. I gave her time to repent. That's why nothing has happened. That's why you imagine in your deceived heart, in our deceived hearts, that we're getting away with something, right? No one knows. (laughs) No, God is giving you time to repent. But look at this. But she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will cast her upon a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into tribulation unless they repent. Unless they what? What's the key word? Unless they repent. And listen, repentance is a good word. I'm growing to love the word more and more because I know that when I repent from a thought, a word, a deed, a behavior, what? His mercy is always everlasting. Where sin abounds, what? Grace much more abounds. Reckon upon it. But do not trample underfoot the blood of God, the blood of Christ. 
and treat as an unholy thing the grace that has been given to us. Do not use your grace, your freedom, as an opportunity for the flesh. Go back to uh, 1 Thessalonians. So God says he's the avenger in all these things, right? No one will escape. No one... Verse 7 and 8, and he just repeats again. He says, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. In other words, the whole calling. Why did God call you and save you? What's the whole purpose of the exercise? That you might go to heaven when you die? No, it's sanctification. I'm glad I'm going to heaven when I die. I look forward to it. Oh, that it were today. (laughs) But his calling is what? That's that's what we call glorification. But right now he's called us the whole work of Jesus Christ in this present age for the church is what? Sanctification. Sanctification. What's our calling? Sanctification, holiness, purity, pure heart, pure mind. I think these unrepented sins in, in, in young folks is what causes so much anger in them. I can't explain and give you all the thoughts why, but I really do. All the contention with, the, with authority. Because uh, basically it's a freedom issue, right? It's a freedom issue, but we don't have time for that. Sexual immorality, again, is so contrary to God's will of sanctification that rejecting it is also rejecting God, who gives his Holy Spirit. Let's look at verse eight, 7 and 8. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Consequently, he who rejects this, what's this mean? What's the pronoun replaced? Sanctification, right? God's call. He who rejects, he whose life pattern is demonstrating a rejection of God's will of sanctification is not rejecting man. It's not mom and dad you're kicking up against. It's not your wife you're tricking. It's not merely that. You're rejecting God. See it? Consequently, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his... Help me out here. Identical word, sanctification, right? except it's an adjective. His sanctifying spirit in you. The whole purpose, the sole purpose, I think we could say, that you have the Holy Spirit is that he might produce in you holiness, <laughs> sanctification, purity, the life of Christ. Did Jesus Christ possess his body in this manner? No, and we claim Christ is in us, yet Paul says, may it never be. So when we reject this, we're rejecting God and his purpose and calling for us in sanctification. In other words, you're rejecting everything. Everything. And that's where it is. That's it, right? He rejects this. It's not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Sanctification, like justification, is a gift by God's grace. Totally free. 
Christ in you. It is fully provided for through Christ. Justification, being what we call being saved, right? Justification is a gift by grace through the death of Christ for me. Sanctification is a gift by grace through the risen life of Christ in me. And we can't have one and not the other. That's what I think these passages are saying. You can't say, oh, I'll take Christ who died for me and have justification and hope some glorification there. And then in the middle, reject his purpose in sanctification. Well, I think anything else would just be repeating myself. So, but uh, it's a heavy message, isn't it? And I, my heart's desire is that we might be reminded of the weighty import of this, uh, of this issue. Amen? What I'd like to do in closing is I'd like to just be quiet for a minute or two. And, you know, even, even today, right now, this moment, old, young, female, male, you can repent. Think of that. Think of the beauty of that and the grace, kindness of God. You can repent and turn from it. Let me be quiet for a minute and you all pray to the Lord. Father, my request is that you would pray that you would work in the heart of every, everyone here, those who are standing firm, that they would continue to stand firm and take heed lest they fall. For those tempted, that you would show them Jesus Christ, our high priest, who is able to deliver them the moment of temptation. For those enslaved, I pray you would grant repentance, Father, the repentance that leads to life. Father, I pray that every one of us, every day, every moment, would recognize the grace greater than our sin and the grace that frees us from our sin, that we too might walk in newness of life. I thank you through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. I appreciate that. We got a song, Alex?